0: Hello, I'm Gemma and welcome to another episode of Good Influence. This is the podcast where each week you and I meet a guest who will help us pay attention to something we should know about as well as answer some of your questions. This week we're talking about nature, our emotional connection to animals, how the natural world links into other areas of our lives and how to balance passion for the climate with protecting our mental health. So joining me this week is Kel Spellman. Kel is an actor and presenter. You may recognise his voice today from Radio 1 programmes, including the Friday Download and the official chart show. Kel is also an ambassador and long-time supporter of WWF, the World Wildlife Fund, and currently presents their nature-focused podcast, Call of the Wild, digging into the threats our planet is facing, as well as, of course, what we can all do to help. So the natural world is something that you spend a lot of time talking about these days. And of course, with presenting your podcast and all the rest of it, Mm. is that something you've always been interested in? Or is it something you came to later on? Kind of how have you got so involved in this area of conversation? Yeah, I think,
1: I think my passion and interest for the natural world and the environment as a whole, Mm. maybe came a little bit later on. I think to begin with, my earliest memory is more I had a massive love and affiliation with wildlife in particular I've always been a big animal lover and I think that's probably kind of what sparked this interest and intrigue in the natural world because obviously you learn about wildlife then you learn about ecosystems and habitats and then what comes on the other side of that is the destruction of these ecosystems and habitats and then that feeling of Oh gosh, this does not sound very good at all. What can I do to help? But yeah, when I was my earliest memories when I was seven, I remember seeing a, an advert on TV. It was for the Whale and Dolphin Conservation Society. And mm-hmm. um you it was like you could get an adoption pack because, you know, dolphin numbers were decreasing and whale numbers because of overfishing. And I remember like pestering my mum and dad to be like, I want to adopt a dolphin, I wanna I want to make sure that there's one dolphin out there that I'm looking after. And I, I ended up with this dolphin called Lightning, who I think I had for like, I want to say eight, nine years. Um, and I think then through there, obviously, as I got a little bit older, then you start learning kind of around conservation and like, oh, that's, oh, initially I was just like, I just want to look after a dolphin. Then I think mm-hmm. my uh, my understanding grew of what that meant. But I think then really the, 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 the journey that, Really then, I think what sparked kind of where I'm at now when it comes to conservation and speaking about the environment and the climate and biodiversity crisis came at around 16, 15 when when at school, I don't know if you remember this because it's not called that anymore. Do you remember it was called Global Warming? Oh yeah, Archaic. <laughs> no, That old chestnut, <laughs> which to be honest, I'm a bit like that needs to kind of come back, I think, because global warming sounds a lot more scary than climate change. It's like climate change. You're like, oh, that's mm-hmm. not too bad. Whereas global warming just sounds a lot more abrasive. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but I remember, yeah, learning about that in school. And I think had that feeling that I think a lot of people do, which is that real sense of feeling quite overwhelmed and struggling to comprehend the severity of it. And I realized I kind of had two ways to deal with that. It was either bury my head in the sand and not think about it and just try mm-hmm. and forget about it or actually try and be like, okay, well, let me turn this on this head. Let me turn it on its head and find out and try and do the things that I can do that make me feel better, but also feel like I'm doing my little bit. And I think just from there, it, I never expected it to end up taking on uh, such a massive role in my life, but in the same breath, actually knowing how much I do genuinely care about it and love about it, it's, it's one of my greatest, ironically, joys in a way. And, I, and I'm yeah, I'm really proud that it's kind of become what it has for myself.
0: Yeah that is amazing. It's I I love that we started this conversation by talking about WDCS, the uh, the sponsorship, I think it was. Because I remember the same thing so clearly. Like my best friend, Chloe, I remember her sponsoring like an orca, I think it was, literally when we were probably about that that same age. It's just brought so many memories, like, flooding back.
1: Do you know what? It's so funny though, because like, I mean, they must have, whoever was doing marketing for them, they've done well, because it was everywhere, the WDCS, wasn't it? It
0: They did a number on eco-conscious seven-year-olds back in the
1: day they really did they did I remember do you know what was funny though actually there was you used to get these updates uh I think well it began I think one every three months and I think they soon realized that four a year is quite a lot so it ended up going to to one every six months and basically after two updates came through and used to have like a little section about each dolphin that they'd kind of tagged them looking after and lightning just wasn't in there and I was like I remember being like hang on, something happened to lightning, lightning. but no one's told me. And so then I remember I actually got a letter saying, oh, you may have noticed, you know, we've not seen lightning for a bit. Um, We're not too sure what's happened, but here's, you can take another dolphin. So then they gave me this dolphin called Sundance. And no joke about a year later, there was like a big two page spread and basically lightning had returned, but with a family he like oh had this whole God. new pod yeah so it was like this am- so really actually the proof was in the pudding it was like oh dolphin like lightning he went off made a little families come back and the numbers have gone up so yeah but for a year i was like where is where is lightning you know what I mean? where's this money going but it was it was fine it was all good in the end
0: that is a roller coaster i was ready to be really <laughs> sad then yeah. so i yeah. mean it kind of <laughs> weirdly in, in a very specific way it brings me to kind of do you think it being the connection to animals and that the emotional connection that we as people or you know so many people are animal lovers and we have that real emotional connection is that kind Mm. of how you started working with WWF and kind of how you've connected with the work that they do and I feel like yeah how what are wwf up to at the moment if you can kind of give yeah. us a bit of an update and like how does it all connect together
1: i think i think it is yeah because I, I do also remember i did have um i think as a lot of people did you know that wwf adoption pack as well i remember mm-hmm. i had an adoption with wwf and i mean for those of our age will remember do you remember on on counters in newsagents you always had the pandas that you could put your yep. change in that would collect like they, those were iconic mm-hmm. and actually if you, if you go to their offices now they've got a big display of about um 100 150 of them because obviously they're not in circulation anymore but every time they see them it just brings me back to being seven years old but yeah. I definitely think yeah I think I think the, the the wildlife and animals particularly gave me that initial emotional uh, connection to it but then what I have found I think through um you know my understanding and learning and actually just growing older is I've actually found that same emotional connection just for the natural world as a whole, you know, from, Mm -hmm. you know, the fungi and soil network to, you know, the plants uh, uh, that we see in abundance everywhere. I've got an allotment with friends, you know, so growing your own food um, and then you can take that bigger into, you know, our oceans and and rivers. And I think every part of the environmental conversation, I do now have this strong connection for, but absolutely the way in was, was through animals. And there's a great bit, So David Attenborough says it so well and I can't say it as well as him but in short you know the whole thing I think of trying to bring people on this journey to want to maybe do their bit it's it's not that strong just saying to people you can do this and can't do that you know I'm I'm not Mm -hmm. an advocate for that at all I don't know about you but I would be like if someone told me to do something even if I wanted to do it I'd be like well I'm not doing it now because you've told me to like Mm -hmm. he always says the, the strongest and best thing you can do is help people find that emotional connection for it themselves, however that may be. And that is far more powerful because once you have that, I think then that will take you on your own journey. You never know, well, as case in point, you never know where it's going to um, take you, I guess, in a way. And then, yeah, with WWF, I, I emailed them when I was 15, as I say, when I was feeling a little bit kind of doom and gloom and overwhelmed about global warming. Yeah, sure. And... Uh, I just said, look, I know you've got a lot of famous people, and I'm, I'm no, I'm not famous, and you probably don't know who I am. But I was working on children's BBC at the time, and just said, you know, if there's a way I can support you in your work, maybe particularly with young people, um, I'd love to be able to help. And yeah, that start has started that this amazing. Well, twelve years into the relationship now, I'm a very proud ambassador, and I think what's amazing about WWF is it's funny, you know, they are perceived. Not as much anymore, but they were just a wildlife charity, which absolutely, first and foremost, sure. they are. That's what they set out to do. You know, they're the World Wildlife Fund. But obviously, as, as science has progressed and our understanding mm-hmm. of the problems that wildlife face... Uh, you realize that everything's intrinsically linked. So to actually be a wildlife charity, you also had to be, you know, kind of a, a, an activist, an environmentalist, and you had to be looking at the fossil fuel industry. You had to be looking at legislation. You had to be looking at holding businesses to account. So they are more now I'd say, actually, they've got this kind of whole 360 approach where, yes, they have this kind of uh, foundation of wildlife, absolutely. But now they they do a variety of stuff all around the world, and as I say that 's working with governments businesses that 's working with tribes out in the Masai Mara in Kenya to help them have a livelihood, but work you know with, um, with them to make sure they 're protecting the land and the wildlife as well because they come into yeah. conflict they, they work with the, the indigenous tribes in the Amazonian rainforest, so they they kind of now do absolutely everything and anything and, and rightly so because I think you need you need these big institutions. To really come to the forefront because we can try and hold governments to account as individuals, mm-hmm. of course. But it's a lot more powerful when WWF are calling out companies or governments for not yeah. doing something. Do you know what I mean? And I think they've realized that they, they have a, that role to play as well now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, is something that I think we have started to talk a lot more about in these conversations, is the idea that it is big companies and corporations and governments who need to be making changes as well as the changes that we can all make ourselves.
1: Oh, Jimmy, you've, you've hit the nail on the head like, and I was actually, I was in a meeting before and, and said that. And it's something I push more and more now whenever I speak is, I struggle sometimes when businesses and governments put the onus on us, the individual. It's like, well, you need mm-hmm. to do this and you need to do that. Now don't get me wrong. We do all have a role to play. And I think, you know, the biggest thing I say to people is just be a little bit more thoughtful, be a bit more conscientious. Just think about your actions and and maybe the consequences of them. But as far as, you know, the big change we need to see, and it is massive, you know, I can't stress enough, it's it's seismic and massive systemic change we need to see. That can't mm. come from us. That is only going to come from legislation, from governments and from big businesses and corporations. So this idea of them going, it's on you, it's like, nah mate listen we're doing our bit but it has to be on you but unfortunately for them you know it's easy for them to blame us and not blame themselves so you're so right and I think we it's important to you know to say to people like you know do your bit but don't think it's, it's it's all on us it isn't it has to come from these governments and the powers that be but as we've seen it's very rare that they bring about the change we need to see do you know what I mean
0: yeah they still still definitely need us to keep shouting <laughs> at them uh- Quite a bit more, I think, probably.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So when we talk about building the kind of, you know, the different ways that the systems interlock with all these issues and also getting those emotional connections. So I know mm. on Call of the Wild, where you're talking on podcast about nature, but you talk about it in lots of different ways and kind of through a lot of different topics. So I know you've done episodes on kind of health and well-being, for example, and things like. Our homes, as well as travel, do you think it's important to kind of weave all those different subjects in together? Does that help make people understand why it's important, or is that more about understanding different ways to make changes, or kind of how how are you approaching this topic, breaking it down?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question, you know, actually. And I think it's probably a little bit of both in a way, I think, because yeah we we do all those topics because it's trying to help people realize like this is this is a 360 thing it's not just selective to a few areas of our lives in fact as i say It's every element of our lives and our daily routines that Mm -hmm. are impacted by nature and that also is impacting nature. So it is trying to be like, listen, we're going to have to cover the full spectrum here. And in the same breath, though, as well, because it is in every area of our lives, it is then trying to cover all the bases and help people you know, learn about the things that they can do and equip them with the knowledge and tools to try and make those small adjustments. And there's a, I mean, I've I mean, I've got it here. You can't see because you're listening. We're on Zoom. There's a thing called the Global Goals, which is kind of fronted mm-hmm. by the United Nations. And this is a great example kind of, of exactly what we're talking about. Because this basically says, you know, if we're to really try and fix the planet and people, you can't just look at it as like, well, we need to fix, you know, the fossil fuel industry and maybe our water systems. You know, if I was to even read the top line of like all the different elements, they've got it off, you've got, well, you need to be looking at poverty as well as world hunger, as well as the mm-hmm. right to, to education, as the right to health and wellbeing, as well as water and sanitation. It's everything's interlinked. Do you know what I mean? We do live in one big ecosystem. So I think that's kind of why we had the approach with Call of the Wild is to go, look, there's so many areas of this conversation. Let's just try and tackle and shine a light on each one in not an overwhelming way, one step at a time. Um, And I think if we can start thinking more, more in that 360 approach and realizing how many things are actually intrinsically linked, I think then we can start to really get on like uh, the right track to to seeing that big change because it's all well and good changing things but you know if girls around the world don't have access to education like like lads do that's a fundamentally a problem it's all well and good going well hmm. the school's doing the right thing but what happens if not everyone's got access to school so yeah it's funny when you do start to dig into it everything has a knock-on effect just like it does in nature
0: yeah uh, yeah definitely that's a good point actually the whole kind of yeah ecosystem all locking into one yeah, we don't like to think we don't like to think of ourselves as animals, really human beings, but we are, and this is the kind of ecosystem we've created for ourselves, and it is all linked together.
1: So true, so true.
0: In that way, though, and you just used the word overwhelming, it can get a bit that way sometimes, especially when you kind of—it's very difficult to look at one problem as one problem sometimes because it's so easy to link things together. Mm-hmm. How do you think? So you've. Got a long background in broadcasting and kind of entertainment media. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that gives you a good kind of background in terms of? Because basically, what I'm what what I'm trying to get to in a roundabout way is how do we keep having these conversations, but without switching people off because it's too overwhelming? Because it yeah. can feel quite heavy. People who are already interested in climate are aware of these things, but I feel like it's quite easy when we're saying, you know, these are all linked together and everything needs to change. And this is all quite scary. It's probably quite easy for people to bury their heads in the sand. How do we... Stop that happening. How do you think we engage more people in these conversations?
1: Yeah, this is one of those like million dollar questions. I don't think.
0: Yeah, it's not an easy question. I've just asked
1: you. No, and it's it's you know it's one that I do think about because it's it's actually a massive part of the problem, and I think no one's nailed it yet. Because if we did, then I think we'd actually be you know we'd be sorted in a way. um mm-hmm. But I guess I kind of listen. This is a very overwhelming and bleak subject, and I. I've, I personally felt that as well. And I can honestly say, particularly, I'm a very hopeful and optimistic person and I am very positive and I think you have to be, but I can even say for me at the end of last year after COP26, which was the uh, massive climate change conference, which took place in Glasgow Mm -hmm. and I was there. Um, it really is. It was one of the first times that even I myself was like, oh I don't know if I can carry mm. on with this. This really isn't, it's not looking or sounding great. Um, but it's okay to feel that. And and there's a massive now, even on the we did a on that mental health and wellbeing episode I did, eco-anxiety, particularly in mm. the generation below us, Gemma, you know, and, and mine, but you know, these younger generations, it is a massive worry for them. Um and yeah, I think, you know, sure. the first the first thing we have to go is like accept that this is a thing. But then like you say, how do we, how do we combat that? And I think, you know, not getting too bogged down in the doom and gloom of it is important. You know, I'm always like, we need to present the problems and people need to know the facts, but let's not flip in overkill and be like, it's this, this, and this. We can just generally accept and go, look, this is what's kind of happening. But then on the flip side of that, look at the solutions. And I can say, for all the the negative stuff and the bad things that happen in the world, there are so many amazing people, businesses, NGOs, charities, individuals that are doing stuff that will blow your mind and thinking, well, why is that not at the forefront of it yet? And it's like, well, it's just not quite yet there yet. But I think realizing that as much as as it is doom and gloom, there's also a lot of like positivity and brightness because there's so many great things happening. And I think focusing Mm -hmm. on that a bit more is a great way to do it. Um, but then I also think as well, you know, and it kind of comes back to that people and the powers that be, you know, and I, I, it's something I'm battling with all the time because, you know, and I've got friends and even myself, some of the changes that you're asking them to make, you know, it's, they're tough changes to make either financially or just, you know, time-wise or energy-wise and understandably people don't want to have to uproot and change their entire lives for Mm. something that they're not too sure about, which is why you actually, if if the changes can be made at the top before it even gets to us, then people can carry on living their lives and not worry about them having to, you know, massively change anything because it's already been done. But Mm. on the other side of that, to answer your question about how can we keep people involved, I think, again, it's that thing of, well, I still think at times people really haven't, uh, fully digested or realized one, how the world is changing, two, mm-hmm. you know, how much it is impacting us, and three, how much it's going to impact us. And like one of my, one of the examples I use for that is the extreme weather that took place in Europe last year mm-hmm. and even here in the UK. Like there was a tube station underwater. Don't know if you remember that last year. Do you remember there was a tube station underwater? But you know, isn't
0: it? It's awful how quickly you forget, though. Because as soon as you say that, I do remember very vividly and kind of watching the news with it on. But then you're like, oh, yeah, remember that was a thing. And it kind of, it you know, there's so much else happening in the world, yeah.
1: Exactly, and and they're all they all vie for our time and energy, rightly so. But also, I think that that's also a media problem where I think we very quickly become you know desensitized to these things you know it's like even now with another wildfire everyone's like oh well we're used to wildfires now but the the tube under the tube station underwater for instance you know and i've seen people tweeting and talk about it yet still they couldn't make that everyone's like oh this is a bit mad i'm like this isn't mad this is climate change you know this is the thing that we all think is a far-off entity it's like no it's here now but people still haven't quite made that link and i think if people start Mm -hmm. making that link i think they would naturally feel more compelled whether they're feeling overwhelmed or not to actually want to be like all right maybe we do need to start we should start making these changes and i think that's the other side of it i think trying to trying to make people realize the connection between you know the changing climate the loss of nature the biodiversity crisis and realizing oh it's at our doorstep now i think at the moment it's still a there's still a bit of a distance in a way, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it definitely does make sense. I think you're right as well. And I think, yeah, the point about, you know, it is a lot about media and the way that we are told about these issues, as well as the way, obviously, people then go and seek out the information themselves. But Mm. we do get a lot of our information from news. And when those places maybe aren't connecting the dots for us, sometimes it's a lot more difficult to absorb that information.
1: And, And I think as well, you know, like... And 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 same for me. Why why does you know my mate who is is working you know every hour under the sun? You know he's got his his family to look after, and then at the same time maybe wants to go and enjoy a football match and have a little bit for him. Whereas he got the time and energy to think and worry about these things, and that's the other side of, get of it. I go people people don't, and people have got a lot got a lot more stuff going on in their houses and at their front door, then having to then worry about these bigger things, which again is like, you know, people then shouldn't have to then take on this burden uh, of gosh, this changing climate. And, you know, the, the world is literally changing before our very eyes. Now they've got more stuff to be worrying about. So that's as well, I'm a big kind of thing of saying like, sh- you know, let people worry about the things that, that is that is in their little world. You know what I mean? Rather than then trying to throw this big mm. thing on them because actually, you know, there's... There's people that are paid a lot more money and have a lot more time and are in a lot better, more privileged position to worry about these things than most other people. Uh, and and that's something I'm always keen to try and push and be like, I I totally get, you know, this is an everyone problem, but not everyone also has the means to be able to actually tackle it. And and that's that's just sadly because of the world that we live in, it's it's no fault of their own or anyone else's.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean it kinda of, it brings me around as well, I guess, to that there's the kind of idea that if you want to do anything about climate and kind of supporting nature then it's all huge huge massive things and like you said before it feels like you kind of have to uproot your whole life and start living a completely different perfect life in order to have any impact but I know a lot of what you talk about on the podcast for example then are these kind of positive changes that people can make would you like to give us some examples of maybe smaller things that don't feel so overwhelming that are still changes that we can make day to day?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. And, and also as well, I think, and again, I appreciate you, you having me on to have this conversation because even sometimes when I'm sorting out episodes and organizing episodes on the podcast, you know, people saying, go like, Oh, I'm not too clued up on it. i do not really feel comfortable speaking on it. And I'm like, the point of the Mm -hmm. podcast is to be like, listen, No one knows everything. Like I maybe know a bit more just because, you know, I spend a lot more time in that space, but this conversation shouldn't alienate anyone, no matter who you are, how much you know, where you're from, what you believe and don't believe. And, you know, if the conversation is, I don't know anything, have that conversation. And I think for too long in this space has it very much been like well you either know everything and can talk about it, or if you don't don't talk about it. and I'm like no nah, this needs to be yeah. inclusive and involve everyone and and I get that because even sometimes I myself talking I'm like okay I'll chill out Do you know what I mean a little bit um oh, sorry <laughs> <laughs> back, back to your back to those small changes you know um instantly very very easily you know and I'm not one of these that pushes everyone needs to be vegan you know because you know People can and should be able to enjoy whatever food they want to enjoy. But if you can cut down a little bit on your meat intake and adopt a little bit more mm-hmm. of a plant based diet, even if that's for out you one meal a week, just go spend a day being more plant based. That, if everyone did that, will have a massive, massive ripple effect, a massive positive impact mm-hmm. on um, on the climate, particularly when it comes to deforestation in the Amazon. Because probably people don't realise is so much of the food that we eat here is directly linked. To what's going on in Brazil. So if you can just incorporate a little bit more of a plant based diet, that's an amazing first thing you could do. Um again, having conversations like this and actually speaking about it a bit more and maybe speaking to your friends or parents about it, very easy thing to do. Even if the conversation is saw that in the news. Does anyone know what that is? And I think growing our understanding is 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 vitally yeah. important. Um this will sound so obvious, but Reconnect with nature and everyone can do that. I think we all kind of turned to it a little bit, you know, in the last two years. And it's funny how kind of, you know, when everything went to par, the first thing we ordered is we almost went back to our roots. You know, everyone was like, oh, well, let me go mm-hmm. and spend my hour out in the park then. But I'm a big advocate for reconnecting with the natural world because I think we're more disconnected than we ever have been. And even if, you know, I know even sometimes access to green space is a premium and is a privilege, but There are, we are lucky we have some, we have some great parks every all around the country and i'm sure you know you're even if you're a little 10 15 20 minute stroll away i think getting back into nature and spending time in it is a great thing you can do because not only is it great for your physical well-being and your mental well-being but i think naturally you'll start to appreciate it more and love it a bit more and then all of a sudden you know you might be walking around that that park and if you see a bit of litter on the floor you're going to pick it up and put it in the bin that sounds so small but mm. that actual action and what that represents is so much bigger um, so I think reconnecting with nature is something we can do. If you want to take it a little step further, um, and these will probably be for the, for the older listeners, and there's a lot more coming out around this now, but, um, our money, now our money is one of our greatest, greatest tools it has when it comes to this. So just thinking about what you're buying and where you're buying it from is mm. massive. I know everybody loves, um, you know, I mean, Boohoo is massive, but that. They are, I cannot tell you as a company, they are horrendous. And the the mm. environmental impact of the fast fashion industry is, is huge. So let's say, for instance, you're going out and you need to find, you know, you're thinking, I need a nice, nice top for a Friday night. Absolutely treat yourself. I'm here for it. But rather than maybe just getting that quick one on Boohoo, can you maybe at some point in the week, if you've planned it a bit more, just nip to your local charity shop and get one second hand? Mm. It's a very simple change to make, but that massively will will have a great impact because one, you know, you're not kind of buying into that throwaway culture. Two, if everyone started doing that and stopped buying from Boohoo, you know the bosses of Boohoo would suddenly then be like, well, why is no one coming to us anymore? Well, it's because, you know, yeah. people don't believe in you. Then you're starting to have an effect on how businesses are run. Uh, and mm-hmm. the other thing on money is um, for those old enough, who either have savings or pensions is, and there's a great uh, website called Make My Money Matter, which is so easy to do. You can go on there um, and basically you can look at making sure that where your money is either saved or where your pensions are, it's being invested into green, uh, green sources. So at the moment people Mm. won't realize, but um, I think it's something like, if you move your pension to a green pension, i wish i had this fact right at the top of my head honestly it's anywhere between that is three to like eight times more impactful than if you went full vegan and all you're doing is just asking whoever where your money is is to make sure it's actually being put into you know uh renewable energy sources not the fossil fuel industry it's taking it Mm. out of investing in alcohol and cigarettes and putting it in these new green solutions and that single-handedly that is the easiest and most powerful thing you can do um and then on a day-to-day you know there's there's so many little things you know do you need to make sure your dishwasher's going on on a full wash you know don't be rinsing it before you put it in the dishwasher you know mm. making sure you know it's held that, that thing of electrics off and only using energy when you need to use it sounds small but all those little things added up great are you using your reusable water bottle you know can you maybe look to do a little bit more waste free shopping rather than just constantly assuming all this unnecessary packaging that then who knows where it ends up um all them tiny things as trivial and as small as they are actually if we were all doing those little bits again that's that's a massive impact it's having so yeah there are a few the the, the very i'd say i think just simpler things we, we can be doing and actually you'll find it might feel a little bit you know, for the first week, as with any new routine, you're like, okay, is this going to go after one, two weeks, you know, you suddenly find you're doing it without even thinking about it. And I do think it's those things there. I mean, you can tell me they don't feel too massive and are going to uproot and change your lifestyle. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, definitely not. And I think it's, I do think it's really important to kind of come back to those examples as well, because as we say, we're kind of at this point in conversation where we're looking at a lot of the systemic changes that need to happen and i think we're at that point where it's it's almost quite easy for some people to go i'm exhausted by this and now i'm looking at these systems and thinking well i'm not going to be able to change these things by myself because we need companies and governments and everything as we've said to change which is true but i think in that point of exhaustion it is quite easy to go well it doesn't matter then what all these Mm -hmm. small things that I'm doing like Mm. because it needs to be big changes these things don't matter anymore and actually I do think as you say the things can coexist so I think even you know coming back to a moment like this and thinking right what other small things in my day could there be it's actually quite a nice exercise. I've just enjoyed like sitting here listening to you talking about it because it does, it just makes you re-examine things again. And it makes you think, no, I do do things every day that are, you know, making an effort. And that even just for the way we think about it is a positive.
1: It's empowering. It really, really is, you know, and actually, you know, it's one of the great things we can do when, you know, you are feeling a bit down about it. Well, one thing that makes you feel better about it is knowing that you're doing your little bit and and off Mm -hmm. that point like you say of going and I've had it at times and it comes in ebbs and flows where you go well what is the point and what can I do if we all did think and adopt that mentality then nothing's going to change and we might as well just down tools and go do you know what guys let's forget the next generations let's flipping send it for the next 50 years you know which would be (laughs) we'd have a great time but you know what where where's then the idea and the thought for your fellow person and you know these these kids yeah. that are so amazing you know the, all the Fridays for Future you know um movement that has come from young people we've got to do it for them and 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 in the same breath as well you know uh as much as we do need this sy- systemic and seismic uh change I am the biggest believer in people power and sometimes mm-hmm. if I'm doing some talks and stuff what I always go back to is I, I go, if you look through history, actually the biggest changes that we've seen in society, whether that be, you know, um, through the, the the women's right to vote, you know, that actually started where I'm from in Manchester, Emily Pankhurst, mm. one woman started that movement. And before you knew it, they'd all come together and all of a sudden women had the right to vote. Bang, people power. Martin Luther King, do you know what I mean? Um, uh, Rosa Parks didn't stand up on the bus. Do you know what I mean? He said, no, I'm going to sit down. One small action then rippled into this seismic change, people power. You know, Mm. um, Nelson Mandela, you know, the apartheid in South Africa, you know, one individual then suddenly created this wave of a movement, people power. So I think that's another thing I try and bring. Greta Thunberg in this instance, you know, Mm -hmm. she said, I'm not going to school. On a Friday, I'm going to walk out and then look what that became. For me, that's become one of actually the the greatest and most powerful things that's happened in the last three years when it comes to the climate movement. But again, that's people power. So don't underestimate the power of the individual. And I think it's Mm. we're made to, particularly by the media and by society, we're made to think that we don't have much say or power in the world. But I'm telling you, history has shown us and I see it still today. We still do have all the power because without us, they don't exist. And and don't, you know, don't forget that we we do as an individual have so much that we can do. And I think if we all are reminded of that a little bit more, um, I th- who knows of, of the potential of, of where things can go and where we can take it. How old
0: up? Every week, my guest and I will be answering your questions, and the first one comes in from Tristan. Now, we kind of touched on this question, but Tristan was asking, when donating to charities supporting our world, what does our money truly do? Because often it's something along the lines of donate to save the tigers or save the rainforest, for example but I know we're not just throwing money at tigers and saying they're saved. I thought this was quite a funny question. (laughs) So it's kind of around, I mean, we did start chatting about this before, but I feel like the kind of the nitty gritty of the charity work, I suppose is, is what the question's about.
1: Yeah. And do you know what though, Tristan, it's a great, great point. Um, From my understanding, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not the best person to answer this, but I always see it in in two ways in a way, because you've got a lot of smaller grassroots charities that when you do donate to them, I mean, that is their lifeblood, you know, without the donations, they don't exist. So for instance, I work with, and that mean it's all charities, but for some smaller ones that I'm an ambassador for, um, There's one called the Young People's Trust for the Environment, which uh, is basically, it's a team of three people. I mean, their actual outreach is amazing, but they focus on providing resources for schools at primary and secondary level to help teachers uh, and maybe after school clubs, you know, teach these lessons and help, you know, give challenges and things that they can bring to young people to help them connect and inspire them to get involved in the climate space. Now, donating to them, for instance, helps keep that going and we will buy resource packs and will buy the the lesson plans and the books that they can then send to schools. City of Trees is another small one where you donating to City of Trees basically goes to buying the equipment, the seeds, um, you know, and maybe if they need some more equipment, you know, bigger machinery, so to speak, it'll go to that. So with the smaller grassroots charity, you 100% know that it's actually just going to go into like literally getting the bits that the charities need. Now with someone like WWF, Mm -hmm. which again, um, you know, donations are the lifeblood of any charity, But for instance, I mean, if if you're donating to, say, a tiger, for instance, obviously it's Mm -hmm. not going to the tiger. But for instance, what it will be going to is uh, helping fund, you know, the rangers that will protect the... uh, the national park say that where maybe these, this set group of tigers live, it will help fund, uh, maybe technology such as like camera traps that help track and make sure they, they can track the tiger numbers and see how they move and learn more about their routines, which then will help them understand what can they be better doing to protect them, to work with the tigers themselves. It will also then be going to as well, um, you know if there is if there is a particular campaign on the ground and say they're struggling a bit for funding to get the message out there it can then go into that to to make sure that it's as powerful and as impactful it can be so in in a bigger sense it will actually help fund it in more in a in a wide range in of ways rather than just directly like no we put up these things and it protects the tiger it's actually more about that holistic view because for instance yeah. you know um There's a great example in, in Kenya, which is one of my favorite countries in the world. um, Obviously there is, there is a, there's a massive problem with most wildlife species numbers over there, but in particular Mm. the African elephant, which is for me, one of my favorite animals. And if you've got an an elephant adoption pack, and as I say, don't quote me on this, there'll be someone at WWF will know the ins and outs of it, but when you donate to, to protect an African gray elephant... You're funding the rangers, you're funding the equipment that's needed, but then you're also funding the work that goes into working with the local community. Because Mm. part of the struggle with the elephants is, you know, that farmers, you know, from the Maasai obviously have got their land and as a a problem for them is elephants coming in and destroying all their crops, which is their livelihood for the year. So understandably... Mm -hmm. They're not the best friends of the elephant. But then through training, what um WWF can do is go, look, well, actually, if you build a ring around your farm and put uh bees' nests on there, elephants hate bees. So that's a natural deterrent to keep them oh off the land. God. But then as well, you've also given these farmers another way of making income because they can sell the honey yeah. that the bees are producing. But to do that, re- that requires funds. So, you know, you've maybe not necessarily donated to literally protect the elephant. What you've done is you've actually helped The world around the elephant improve and make sure it's a safe cohesive sustainable environment for the people on the on the land but also the elephant so yeah it it goes into everything and anything but i think grassroots you can say it directly will be like getting into the crux of it but you know when you're dealing with things on a massive massive scale there's so many different elements to it that obviously sadly all require money so it'll all go into that basically
0: yeah love that good little snapshot i mean I've just learned that elephants hate bees, for example. So that's that's my... <laughs> you learn something, something new every day. day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing, thank you. Um, okay, next question uh, from Michelle, who says, it can be very overwhelming to hear about all the changes that you can make to reduce your environmental footprint. A lot of people will tell you to just focus on one small thing at a time. But even with that, there are so many things. And I often wonder, is this even making a difference? So I guess maybe if we with Michelle's help move that conversation on from kind of what we were talking about previously, it's kind of choosing which small things to do is kind of the question. If you feel like you can't do everything, where do you start?
1: Yeah. And and I think actually that's a beautiful way to look at it. You know, it is, you know, it's like, um, it's like sometimes if you, if you're trying to spin 20 different plates, then all 20 of them are all going to end up falling. But if you're just spinning two plates, you can maybe just, or even just the one, you know, you can keep that plate going. And I guess if you're going to mm-hmm. choose one thing, find the thing that you that you care about. Do you know what I mean? That you think, all right, what is, what is the one thing that, or one area in my life that I, I would like to make a change? Because, you know, what might be for me saying to people, you know, maybe go a bit more plant-based. You know, there might be someone who goes, I love my food that much, I don't want to do it. That's fine. All right, then, can you maybe look at, your day to day travel, you know, are you driving five minutes mm. around the corner to your mates, you know, or are you driving five minutes down the shop. Could you have walked that? Could you have maybe jumped yeah. on a bike? So, you know, I think actually looking at the one thing that isn't going to maybe feel like it's going to you changing, you know, a really part, of, an important part of your life that you love, and find that one area guy, I could maybe make a change in that, and there will be some small adjustment you can do and start there. But I think that's such a great point, you know. There are so many great ideas of change you can do everywhere, but find find the thing that, that resonates with you and connects with you. You know, don't just do something because someone's told you to do it. it it's better if it, it really comes from within. Um, And I think, yeah, start on that. And then I think naturally you'll find, you know, after a week you'll have done that and be like, oh, that was pretty easy. What's the next thing I can do? And you go, oh, mm. maybe I could try this. And then you go, okay, I've sorted that out. All right, maybe, maybe, maybe actually I'm going to look at, oh gosh, I am losing a lot of plastic bottles at the moment. Let me buy a reusable, how often can I remember my reusable water bottle or coffee? You know, yeah. just them tiny things step by step. Um, and as I say, make sure it's what what's easy and doable for you, not what everyone's telling you is easy and doable for you. Because what's easy and doable for someone is not easy and doable for someone else. So yeah, make sure it comes from you and only you know the answer to that.
0: Lovely, thank you. And last question I have is from Molly who says, I like that you talk about other things like mental health as well as discussing the environment. How do you look after your mental health when you spend a lot of time looking at worrying facts about the planet?
1: Great question. You know, my friend, one of my best mates actually asked me that. And if I'm honest, I don't quite know, um, and I, I do. <laughs> Hard to put your finger on. <laughs> <There, laughs> yeah, I think because and listen, I, I've got to say as well, you know, and I think you know, I mentioned it before in our conversation. I do have my little moments where I dip, you know, and I think, mm. particularly, as I say, the most striking and obvious one to me recently was after COP. You know, I was really deflated, and you know, was was really in a funk, I guess, in a way. And the the first thing I did was take a step back you know i have to go right i can't i'm going to i'm not going to consume anything now in this in this space do you know what i mean i'm not going to be reading what i usually read maybe sometimes i have to mute a few accounts and stuff but you kind of almost if it really is getting too much and this i think comes in anything really put yourself first and do you first and if that means me coming off my phone and maybe I have to email all the charities I work with and go guys you know I want to help you but you're just gonna have to give me some space for a little bit and they're also understanding to go I do um I think coming back to just focusing on what I need for myself is firstly the most important thing I do but I think secondly as well you know I have found I'm quite naturally not to sound like an idiot, I do feel I'm quite a positive person and I Mm. don't deal quite well with negativity. I never did in school. I think that's maybe sometimes why I'd always have, in an ironic way, conflict, because the minute it comes up, it makes me uncomfortable. So Mm. I I just don't like to, I like to be aware of, you know, the stuff that is pretty bleak, but I don't let it consume me. And I think for every, it's like the balance of life, the yin and the yang, the push and the pull, for every sad and depressing story, there's one beautiful, uplifting, happy story. And if you you mm-hmm. can either choose to go, I'm going to focus on all the the bad stuff, or focus on all the uplifting stuff. Um, but that's something I'll do as well. I think I said in that in uh, in one of the episodes, you know, we do get bogged down, particularly because all the news do is talk about the negative stuff. I say to people there was a there was a great uh well the inaugural Earthshot Prize awards, which happened last year um and for those who don't know in short the Earthshot prize it's a 10-year thing where people over i think six months they can nominate people organizations companies that are coming up with solutions to help combat the climate and biodiversity crisis and then Mm -hmm. there's an award ceremony at the end of the year final four people are shortlisted and then the winner uh, of each prize gets a million pound to go into their idea and solution if anyone is ever feeling down in the dumps about what's happening to the planet and that what people are doing to it, what humans are doing to it. Just go and look on the Earthshot shop prize website and take mm. a look at all the brilliant things and ideas and solutions are out there. Like for instance, we are all about coral bleaching. There was these two guys in, I oh, can't remember where they were, but they basically mm. come up, uh, uh, they've managed to manufacture or make basically synthetic coral reef. So they like make coral reef in a way, but they can mm. make it. So one, it basically is as natural as coral reef can be. It is, it's the exact same, you know, the the, the wildlife under, you know, under our oceans would use it as a coral reef, but they've made it so it's going to be more resilient to temperature rise because obviously the water's Mm. heating up quicker than land. So they're they're making these coral reef systems that are going to be able to withstand temperature rise, which means that actually then these habitats will still exist, even though the temperature is decreasing. Increasing, sorry. Amazing. You know, Boyan Slat, who came up with like this amazing ocean cleaner, you know, he puts it in the ocean. It's like a robot. And it just, you see it, it just goes up, just c- collected all the plastic that it comes across. And then someone has to go and clear it out and then it sets off again.
0: I actually, I saw something similar to that in the Thames the other day I was walking past. I was like, "What? Like, what, is, what is that thing that was kind of in the river? And yeah, it was just like a little fenced in thing that said it was cleaning the river and we were like, what is that? And you could just see all of the the stuff in the middle of it. It scooped out. So it is full of very cool stuff.
1: There, they're, they're uh, pardon the pun That is a drop in the ocean, mm. you know, of of things that are happening. And and not just businesses, you know, I think costa Rica are are like almost they've they've reforested like they lost I think 50% of something of their forest and they've actually brought it back quicker and faster and it's more resilient than it was before you know and people actually thought that was pretty impossible it ain't you know so you know go and find those solutions but as i say you know i think i sometimes take myself away i try and meditate um you know i stretch sometimes you know getting out in nature also helps me um and speaking to my mates you know and and i think it's it's such an obvious thing to say when it comes to our mental health but it's okay to not be okay Mm. and if i'm in a funk or i'm feeling a bit you know down in the dumps then I'll say it, and actually, just speaking about it, you know, does help, and you actually kind of go, it puts it in perspective a bit, and yeah, I think there's there's some of the things I do, but um, yeah, so it's not easy, and I'm not always so positive, as I say, it gets to me, but yeah, I try and try and do those little things, I guess.
0: That's great, thank you, thank you for that. It's not the easiest question all the time to kind of. I mean, as someone who talks a lot about mental health, I do get that question all the time. You know, like what, what do you do? And it's, it's not always the easiest question, yeah. but I, like, I always find it a really valuable conversation anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. it, I, Yeah. It's so true. And I think actually just even just, again, like you say, conversing about it for 10 minutes, hopefully will help people as well. I think.
0: If you want to know about opportunities to send in questions for upcoming guests, then follow us on Instagram or Twitter at good influence GS. And you can email me at goodinfluencepod influence pod at gmail.com. Before you go I've got three things I ask every guest and that's if listeners want to find out more about what we've been talking about could you please recommend us something to read something to listen to and something to watch?
1: Yes okay right now this is this is classic me because I I do struggle at times with my overthinking and so I struggle to make a decision so to choose one thing I've actually maybe brought two to the table, if that's all right. That is
0: okay. You do what you want to do.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Because decision-making is never my forte, and my friends will tell you that. I'm, I'm right there with you. I get it. Come on. <laughs> um, so for something to read, um, I've bought two, and what they're in two very different spaces. Uh, the first one, and I will prefix with this, it is a tough read, mm-hmm. okay. And when I say it's a tough read, is because it's basically presenting the health of our planet, and it doesn't take a scientist to know it's not in the healthiest states. Mm-hmm. But there's a a report that is put out. Uh, I think it's every two. I think it's every two years. It's called the IPCC report. You might have actually seen that or heard it banded about. And I was trying to remember what IPCC stands for. I do remember. I can't remember. Basically, it's a report that the world scientists come together and put out collectively to say that they've all kind of done that. You know, they all agree with this research and basically say where the planet's health is at. And the last one that came out in, I think it was February, March time. It's, 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 it's a, it's a a depressing read. I'll be honest with you. But if you do really want to kind of really get a grasp and understand where the health of our planet is at, the struggles that we face and the areas in which we need to see vast improvements, that is basically your one stop shop. But as I say, it is a lot. And even for me, I had to read it in parts. And I'm I have known most of these things, but I'd have to read a bit and be like, okay, that's not made me feel very good. Let me go back onto the Earth shot and find some solutions. Yeah. But it's 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 the thing I would say if you really want to know kind of how bad is it. That is it. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side of that, and I think because it's Mental Health Awareness Week when we're doing this interview, yeah. Um, there's a great read um, that was put out between. Um, it, it was WWF, who also worked with Mind, I believe, mm-hmm. and it was called uh, Thriving with Nature. And actually, when I if when this goes out beyond my socials, I'll put I'll send you the link or whatever, so people can go to it. Perfect. It's Thank you. It's a free resource. And it's basically a toolkit in how you can reconnect with nature and not just that, though, the things that you can do in nature that are going to help improve your mental health and well-being. Um, So it's kind of got loads of little ideas, loads of little tips and tricks uh, of so many easy things that you can do that are going to help you reconnect with the natural world, but also are proven to actually help benefit and you know, change your mental health for, for, for the better. Um, so that, that is, I think, you know, if if the IPCC there is for those people that really want to get into the nitty gritty, but I think generally, I think I'd encourage anyone to go and read the thriving with nature resource. Um, and I'm sure you'd read that or find something in there for you, even if it's one thing and be like, do you know what? I'm going to go do that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a beautiful reading. It just reminds, you know, just this, this thing that we, you know, that is a part of us and, and we are a part of it. You know, it, it, it just gives us so much more than we realize and we can always turn to it because it will always be there. So yeah, my, a thriving with nature, um, would be my other one
0: gorgeous thank you I'll definitely share that link as well yeah when this episode comes out and yeah that's uh, that sounds like something I would definitely love to have a read of
1: it's a dead easy read as well it's de- it's not short or anything it's quite short it's quite simple um but yeah it's class it really is great so I'll, I'll get that across defo um something to watch is again uh it was I mean of course, the main man, the legend, my hero, um, as I think he is most people, Sir David Attenborough, who turned 96, I believe, a couple of days ago from us doing this interview. Oh. There is a Netflix documentary um, about his life. It's called A Life on Our Planet, David Attenborough. And that would be my recommendation because one, you just get to learn about this incredible man, human being. Um, but within that, you know, he kind of, he presents the transformation of our planet in only the way that Sir David Attenborough can. Mm. And yes, you're going to get some of the facts of where things are at. But what's also in that film is he almost provides the framework for what we need to be doing to turn things around. Because he says we can still do it. And if Sir David says we can still do it, we can still believe it Um, and it's and it's just it's it's a beautiful watch to learn about this man's life because he's he's seen everything um you know from us putting man on the moon to the birth of the internet to the birth of air travel um so he is the eyes and ears of you know was coming into this this modern day world we live in um but can put it across in a way like no other and it's it's an amazing watch um and you'll you'll learn so much, and as I say you'll also come away, I think feeling quite hopeful and inspired so David Attenborough Life on our planet, which you can get on Netflix or i'm sure you know you can find it um some other places as well
0: perfect, thank you
1: and then something to listen to yeah i've 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 been really bold here, and I hope no one judges me for this
0: I know what you're going to say, and I'm happy about it. you do it
1: there is a a great podcast out there, if I may say so myself, the host you can take or leave <laughs> you know i'm with you on that don't worry about the host. I feel the same about the host, but it's called call of the wild um i know it's it's it's, a, it's it's my podcast, and we're in the second series now, and i'm incredibly proud of it we We have such a diverse, amazing range of guests um from experts to non experts to musicians actors artists and I really made it out of this uh feeling that I wanted to make this conversation for everyone and I also wanted to create a space where we actually don't focus on all the negatives it we kind of learn about you know the things happening but what can we do to okay. help and turn things around and um yeah I think if, if you enjoy your podcast, which if you're listening to this, I'm sure you do um, We hope so then yeah it's called uh, it's called Call of the Wild and that would be a uh, that would be my recommendation.
0: <laughs> thank you for listening and thank you, Kel, for joining me. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd love you to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're using and if you've got a spare minute to leave us a rating and a review, your reviews make a big difference and help other people find the podcast. See you next week.